Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yes, for fans, it's the Pick 6 Podcast on Zoom. Uh, it's a snow day uh, here in Omaha. The roads are wintry. Icy. It's wintry weather, and uh, I am in the World Herald, but uh, uh, Tom's in the uh, Pennant Cave, and then Dirk is, is Dirk's wherever Dirk's at. <laughs> it's, uh, he is where he's at. Um, hello, gentlemen. How are you? Sam, I, I think it says something about our dedication when you live in Lincoln and you made it to the Omaha <laughs> office. Tom and I, Tom and I live in Omaha, and we did not make it to the Omaha office. Well, I see interstate the whole way out there in West O. You never know who's going to pave what. There's probably a couple of roads out there with a foot of snow on them. Out there in the wilds of West O, land of milk and honey. As my former defensive coordinator at Miller North High School used to say, we live in the land of milk and honey. Literally <laughs> the biblically chosen land of West O. He was great. He's still there. He's awesome. So, Sam, th this would be a good time for any sort of Fred Petito memories, I think. But uh, the I wrote a... He wasn't a the one who said that, but yeah, he, he, I, I wrote think a, he probably would have signed off on it. <laughs> I wrote a, pro a profile of Petito uh, in 2003, and, and a lot of the story was about how even in 2003, he was still hitchhiking, like lots of places. Oh, yeah. Um, do you have any memories of Fred Petito hitchhiking? We don't need to... Do I don't. No, I, I don't have any memories of that. I have lots of fond memories of him as a coach. I don't know that he has that many fond memories of me. He's <laughs> kind of a locker room lawyer. But um, I'm eating a nut here. Uh, yeah, I love that he was, he was, a, I, that he was a one thing I will always holiday. say. One thing I'll say about him is uh, he always had a play in his back pocket. And I think you wrote about a game he had one time where they ran a double reverse on a two-point conversion or whatever. Every he always had a play. And you never knew quite knew when it was going to come out. But he would he and it was always really well conceived and designed. And and you know, and the thing he would always tell us, it was the thing I remember the most, is he like a person should know who's playing before you walk in the stadium because they can hear you from the from the parking lot, how hard you hit. That was the best thing he would always tell us. And it was true. Like, if you play like that and they can hear you from the parking lot, you're probably going to win. So he's a good coach. That's I, I've got other colorful stories, but we don't need to go on and on. <laughs> but no, he's, you know, and, you know, and he lived in that weight room. That's where good, I'll tell you this much. That's where good football teams, generally speaking, that's where they live. They live in weight rooms. And, and I wasn't a weight guy, you know. But really good teams live there, and they just that's just a culture. They're, they're around it all the time. They don't want to leave. Good teams don't want to leave the weight room. They don't really want to leave the building. Even if they don't have to be there, they don't really want to really leave. They want to be around the program. They want to be around ball. 
And this is where I can tie this into Matt Rule. You're going to see how I'm going to turn this around the corner here. We're coming around the bend, and we're not going to slip on the winter ice. That's Matt Rule. Like, he he lives it. You can tell. You can tell that once he decides that he's going to go, like, dive in, he dives all the way in. And we've talked about this. Like, that's something that I thought we thought Scott would do, but he hasn't didn't necessarily do. But that is what Matt Rule does. And you can see it by the way that they're recruiting and by the amount of work that they put into just doing just about everything, how hard they're working to try to put together a competent, and I do mean just competent, roster for next year because they lost Ernest Hausman to Michigan today. There's a chance they could lose some other guys. It's not their fault that the roster is what it is, but they're going to have to upgrade a lot just to get it to a place where they could win five, six, seven games next season because right now it's there's a lot of question marks. And I think they're working pretty hard to try to, to at least answer a few of them. You know, I, I realize you have an agenda here, and, and obviously we want to follow your lead. But to me, to, to me, what stands out about Rule is, uh, I mean, he he really takes. I don't know if it's if it's ego, if it's uh, if it's just uh, supreme confidence, but but boy, he sure takes this uh, recruiting. Uh, you know the 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 hidden gems thing he he sure takes that seriously i mean he's oh man man i mean you know it, i think five years from now if this works out you know one thing that we're going to be writing about is is you know the first scholarship recruit was a kid who didn't have an fbs offer but who ran a 10 200 you know it's like uh he really believes in that stuff you know and he's he's got the confidence to keep chasing guys even when they're not chased by anybody else it's really interesting so I'm, I'm writing a story uh, about, you know, just traits of Matt Rule programs for today. Um, you're keeping me from writing it, by the way. So I went back to a press conference he did right after they clinched their Big 12 title berth. They didn't win the Big 12 title. They lost Oklahoma. But the point I'm making here is that they just beat Texas. They beat a Tom Herman Texas team with Sam Ellinger and all that. And they beat them 24 to 10. And about midway through the press conference, I don't know how it comes up, but he's like, you know, how did you guys get here? And he starts talking about the players and he's like, well, this is all about the players and, and this and this, but then he goes, sometimes people will talk about, and then he stops and he goes, I'll just say this. We know what we're doing in recruiting. We find good players. We get a lot of good players. Recruiting is not about rankings. Recruiting is not what people say it is. Recruiting is finding people who can play, putting them in the right positions and developing. He is confident. Like he, he does not need to go and get a top 10 class. In his own mind, he does not need to get a top 10 class in order to, in order to field the top 10 team. He is very, very confident. So so I'm sure Chattel's thinking the same thing I am right now, that there are shades of Tom Osborne in that comment. Uh, not so much the, you know, the, the expression of confidence or, or even bragging about it, uh, but, but just sort of the, I don't care what anybody else thinks of this player. This is what I think. Um, I, I guess my concern would be, you know, when you're arriving at a new program and you probably haven't been doing a lot of due diligence on some of these guys, you know, are you just throwing stuff at the wall and sort of being a contrarian or, uh, you know, is there, is there a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, Micah Kreikmeyer in this, uh, just to sort of, you know, drum up attention or, or do they actually believe in these guys? That would be my concern right now. 
You know what I, I want to see is um, I first of all I I want to see any, I want to see anything <laughs> I want to see something. I mean, all this stuff sounds good, and I and I I, I love what he's saying, but I'm I'm at the point now where I just want to see something before I buy into it. <laughs> so, but I I'm wondering because I see, I've seen this in college basketball now. Um, the uh, the 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 FCS level guys moving up to, to the high level division one and uh they they fit into a culture they fit into a team and um you know they they, they can play and i wonder how if, if there's if, if there's fcs football players that might end up at nebraska in the next few years um who kind of fell through the cracks who who, who maybe weren't developed um rather than the the, the, the all the guys with stars Maybe Nebraska ends up with a bunch of those guys on, on the team. I think that uh, – sorry, sorry, Kay. No, go ahead. I, I think generally speaking, and this is – you know, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a unique opinion, but I think generally speaking there's probably 50 guys in a, in a class, in a recruiting class, that, that are sort of jump off the page no-brainers. And then once you get past 50 or 100, Sam, uh, I don't know where you want to draw the line. But I think it's all about fit and development and system and scheme and, you know, vision and position and all these things. Like, I don't know if if you took if you took the starting linebacker at North Dakota State and the starting linebacker at Kansas State or Iowa or whatever, uh, I'm not sure there's much discernible difference between those guys. I, I think. You know, like I said, I think once you get past the five stars and maybe half of the four stars, uh, I, I think it's it's all about all that intangible stuff. And I think Rule seems to understand that, you know, and probably believe in it more than most coaches do even. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I have what I call bands, you know, uh, bandings. And so the band that I, that I start with is top 100 because – in my opinion, the recruiting services actually curate that list pretty damn tight. Like they don't, there isn't a guy that cracks into the top 100 that would be like, oh, okay. You know, like there's not, there's not that. And sometimes, you know, you see how recruiting services might grade a guy. Bryce Turner goes from, he has no offers from even an FBS team to a, to a high three-star, to a guy that's rated higher than Ben Bramer. Well, there's no there's no science to that. I mean, come on. I mean, the guy was, the guy was a, a zero star on December 1st and now he's a high three star because Nebraska and Matt rule saw something in him. Whether that's true, whether Bryce Turner is a good player or not, he very well may be nothing changed about him as a player in those 15 days. And so sometimes people will look at recruiting rankings and they will, and they've been told over and over again, recruiting rankings matter, recruiting rankings matter. Well, hell yeah, they do. When you have one of the top six classes, they do, but you start getting into the, you know, the difference between the number three class and the number 12 class is vast. And the difference between the number 12, the number three class and the number, the number 12 class and the number 18 class isn't as big. And the difference between number 20 and number 43 is smaller than the difference between three and 12. And so the challenge is, it really is about the top 100 players, and then I have a band that goes 101 to 500, and then I have a, and then I have like a 501 to a thousand, and then I have these guys that are just you know walk-offs basically, 
um, who might play or might not play. And so like, that's kind of the thing that I try to look at. And I do think that one of the, and I'm not trying to knock recruiting services. They do their best. They do their best, but there's just nothing quite like the number 299th player in the country being a four star and the number 317th player being a three. There's no difference between those players. It's just a randomly assigned, you get a three and you get a four. Like it doesn't, there's not a 20% difference between those players. And so I think that's one of the things it's worth examining. I think Nebraska knows that they're not going to get, you know, a lot of the kids that are at the five-star limit right now. And there is a certain entitlement that comes to getting a high four-star. Their expectation level is higher. And sometimes you can go get a, a mid three or even a low three. And that kid doesn't have any illusions about what he's coming in to do. He's coming in to be a better football player. He's not coming in to start. And I think that's something that Nebraska used to be really good at identifying. And I think they lost their way. They lost their way under Mike Riley to some degree. And then they, they, they continued to lose their way under Scott. Yeah, I think uh, – I just think I, – I still believe – I realize we're in an era where kids are at 17 years old are better than they've ever been. Uh, they're doing more stuff in the offseason. they got personal trainers, you know, weight training. I mean, it's all enhanced dramatically from, from 20 years ago, 40 years ago. But I still believe, uh, you know, strongly that there's a big difference between a 17-year-old kid and, and a 21-year-old kid. And – you know, that's on the colleges to develop those guys, you know, and, and so I, I appreciate, I really appreciate coaches who, who emphasize that development uh, and, and who, you know, sort of take pride in it. And I realize there's sort of a, you know, maybe a contrarian streak where you're trying to be the smartest guy in the room and, and find, find the guy that nobody else has found. And I'm sure that there's drawbacks to that approach, but uh, I would sure I would sure rather have a coach who, you know, who who is sort of, uh, you know, trying to trying to to take guys who are unfinished products and and round them into form as opposed to just thinking that hey, well, let's go get the best seventeen year olds on earth. You just hope you're not developing them for somebody else too. <laughs> in today's world, um, oh, I know. That's uh, right. I, you you know you put all the work in. And then all of a sudden they're gone. Now I'll say this, like Jamari Butler would have been an example of that because Nebraska developed Jamari for three years, but he's coming back, you know, Ernest Hausman who went to Michigan, he got some development. Sure. But he's only been there nine months. He's just really good. Like he, he's just a really good player. But how about Sam? How about the irony of that situation? If, if Hausman, you know, if, if Nebraska stays healthy at linebacker and Hausman doesn't play, or plays less, he's probably on the team next year. You know, right. like he played, he played just well enough that last month of the season to to sort of recognize that there were there were greener pastures, especially in a program that is going through a big transition right now. And uh, man, if if I, I can't help but think that if Nebraska stays healthy there and he remains a backup, he's probably on the team. Yep, that I think Michigan probably saw him play against them, and he had a hell of a game at Michigan. Right, and they're like, "Oh, that's good. This guy's a good player." And he goes into the portal, and they're like, "Wow, he was a pretty good." Player. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's yeah. a he's gonna. I think he'll be a good player there. Um, I think he'll I think he'll fit in nicely. Um, wanted to ask this. So Nebraska's obviously in the market for a transfer quarterback. We know this because one has already visited Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech. 
And two is Malik Hornsby, uh, who could be a receiver, but also wants to be a quarterback. He's coming in from Arkansas. And one of the reasons I think he left Arkansas is because their quarterback is returning as a starter there. And he wants to play. He just wants to be on the field. And I don't know that Arkansas is going to put him on the field, regardless of what KJ Jefferson is doing or not doing. So here's the question. Brass is going back to a dual threat quarterback. You like it? One way or another, they're doing it. Yeah, I do like it. Um, but, you know, it, it, I, I don't know that much about the offense yet. I don't like any of us do right now. Um, but I think they're, I think, I think they're, they're going to get football players. You're going to get guys who can do a lot of things and who have a lot of talents. And um, they just want to play football. So, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think, I think a running a quarterback who can run, that doesn't mean they're going to run the option, <laughs> but you know somebody who, who can drop back and take off is a, a big problem for a lot of a lot of defenses. Um, what I'm wondering is, it's been a. I mean, you know me. Sometimes uh, I, I don't always um, <laughs> I don't always see everything that happens. But uh, have we heard anything out of uh, Casey Thompson lately? Has he said anything? He hasn't said anything publicly. Um, he's had what, surgery. What does that mean? I mean, is he – he's not going to the NFL. He said that. Um, so I is he – There's a chance he could come back. Here, here's my question. Is there a chance that, 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 that they may not want him? I mean, why wouldn't you want him, right? He'd be – Yeah, I wouldn't turn that – I wouldn't turn that that opportunity down. I, yeah, I, I think you'd want him in. I mean, because they have he's a lot of good players. players. Right, and they're bringing some guys in. I just wonder, bringing people in right now, does that mean they 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 want to turn the page on Casey, or I don't know. I think it's probably twofold. Like the kid they're bringing in from Arkansas would be a backup. Yeah. Would, I don't know that you'd turn your offense over to him, but he also wants to play receiver. So he's okay. a different, a little bit different right. story. The kid from Georgia Tech, now he'd come in and probably want to start. Um, I, he would. I'd want to keep Casey, but I'm just saying, um, he hasn't transferred anywhere, right? He hasn't gone to the portal and left, so it's it's getting later for that to happen. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just wonder what's going on there. Sam, it's a trick question. Does, does dual threat mean Luke McCaffrey slash Logan Smothers, or does Luke uh, does dual threat mean Caleb Williams slash Spencer Rattler? Uh, you know, those are those are not those are not necessarily the same thing. So, uh, I think Nebraska needs to, you know, you don't want to put yourself in, in position in today's college football where, where you know you get to third and twelve and you don't have a chance because because your quarterback can't you know can't throw a a back shoulder fade. Uh, but but on the other hand, I think a little bit of a little bit more mobility back there. Uh, you know, certainly helps, and it helps cover up some offensive line issues. Um, if Nebraska can can actually develop some depth, you know, they it probably uh, they'd probably be willing to to move that quarterback around a little bit more. I don't think you'd want to do it if if they had the depth issues that they had this past year. So uh, I don't know. It, 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 <laughs> well, that's that's the thing, right? Like if. Dual threat encompasses a lot of quarterbacks these days. Uh, you just you just got to find a guy who who has the right blend of of the two. I mean, it's like I said, you 
if if you're putting a guy out there who, you know, like McCaffrey a couple years ago, who who can't make a simple throw, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna do very well. So uh, hopefully, whoever they bring in is 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 a pass first guy. Well, I would say that that um, the Arkansas guy, if if he's gonna be a you know full time starting quarterback, he'll he'll need to develop more be the way I would put that. I think he's got a lot of talent, but I, I think there's, you know, work to be done as a passer. Uh, Sims is, is decent uh, as a thrower. He completed about 58% of his passes career wise. He really can run. So I'd encourage both. I don't know that it's going to be him, by the way, Indiana is an option for him. Some other schools, uh, you watch him run. There's a lot of Robert Griffin, the third there, there is there. He, he can run and he's really fast and, Looks a little bit like what you would hope Heinrich Harburg would look like, to be very honest with you, if Harburg ever got a got going uh, in that offense. Long strider, uh, you know, sort of a sprinter-like runner. So what dual threat to me means is you're going to use your quarterback in the run game. And when you do that, certain things become true. One, you run for more yards. You, you almost always do. The minute that you add the quarterback to the run game, you're going to run for more yards because it's harder to defend. Two, you're going to have more fumbles. You're, you're going to have potentially a lot more fumbles because quarterbacks are not running backs and they don't they don't protect the ball that well. Um, they just historically don't. <laughs> and we can we can use Adrian Martinez, we can use whomever you want um, to you know to to underline that, but but that that's just a fact. Uh, Nebraska had 13 fumbles this year. Right, they lost six of them. They had thirteen fumbles and lost six. Last year, they had seventeen and lost seven, and that was with a running quarterback. Then you go back to the gem of twenty twenty, when they only played eight games and they had twenty two fumbles and lost nine. In twenty nineteen, they had twenty seven fumbles and lost twelve. I was going to say, I'm going to. I just hope you keep going. Let's go all the way to about two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. Let's just get crazy here. The 2012 one is the famous one. They lost, they had 35 fumbles and lost 22. <laughs> That's what happens when you run your quarterback. Now, people can say whatever the hell they want. And Matt Rule can tell me, you know, or it can say, I, I, I can figure that out. But the, but the empirical evidence in 2013, it was 32 fumbles and 16 lost. In 2014, it was 27 fumbles and 13 lost. They were last in the Big Ten in fumbles lost in 20, let's see here, in 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, well, not 2015. Guess what? In 2015, they went to the team with the least amount of fumbles in the Big Ten. That's because they had a statue. Well, well, Tommy Armstrong was still the quarterback in 2015. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought, I, thought, I thought we were in 2017. Sorry. In 2017, they only had 12 fumbles and they only lost two. This is fun. So the point being that what happens is you 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 start to have a shift in in what you what your turnovers do, and you have to you have to just keep it in mind. That's all I'm saying is when you go to that, you're going to run for more yards. You're going to be a more dangerous running offense. You'll probably be better in play action passing, but your team almost always will fumble the ball more. Almost always. They lost almost fumbles in 2012, and they won the division. 
They won a lot of games. That's right. Yeah, but they got they lucky. Tom. Let's just call it what it is. They got lucky. Hey, right now I'll take lucky. <laughs> it's no, I I get what I've been watching. Now, hey. now the the flip side of the coin is if you look at this season, Oregon, which was a dual threat offense with Bo Nix, they only lost three fumbles. So there are there are some situations where it's different. Um, where it doesn't it doesn't turn out that way. I mean, I I'm willing to concede that, but it just that the exception's always in the room. Somebody always has an exception, but generally speaking, you're going to fumble the football more when your quarterback is more involved in the run game. So that'll just be something that we'll yeah. have to watch. Also, Jaden Daniels, who is now the quarterback at LSU, he fumbles everywhere he goes. They had 12 fumbles last, 12 lost fumbles at Arizona State, and this year it was an astronomical number as well. And let's see. Um, they lost 12 fumbles this year at OSU. They fumbled yeah. the ball a lot. When Jaden Daniels is your quarterback. That's just that's a fun fact for people to know that is completely irrelevant to what we're talking about. <laughs> um, signing day is coming up next week. How has signing day changed, do you think, in the last 15 years, 20 years? Like it's obviously not the same thing it used to be. I think transfer portals is is a bigger deal, especially it's a lot more fun to follow for people. Um, because it's guys who are going to play now. It's the, the the Christmas present you can have now. It's not right. you don't have to wait for it. And you know what's the fun of recruiting when some of these guys are going to leave in a couple of years? <laughs> you don't get to enjoy it. I mean, you get to enjoy it now, but um, I don't know. It's just the world's upside down right now because of the portal. And um, I I don't mind that the the that the signing date is is less uh important i don't mind that at all um but well the one in february is really is really uh become irrelevant hasn't it but um i don't know sam it's um it's still important it's still important to recruit um it just seems like there's more tension on the portal who can you get that can help you right now sam the way it used to be uh Signing day was was the equivalent of the Major League Baseball draft. Now, signing day is the equivalent of the NBA or NFL draft. Um, you know, as Tom noted, you just you see guys sooner. Um, you know that, that to me, it's it's not just waiting on high school kids to develop. It's it's like you just said, you get excited about a guy and and then he's gone. So um, I think it's. I think National Signing Day is, has really lost its luster. Uh, I think it would benefit by moving to a different part of the calendar, you know, when it could get more attention and, and coaches could could sort of separate transfer portal from high school recruiting day. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him eliminate the December signing day, get rid of it, and go just go back to the one day. I think that would be better, in my opinion. You know what? One of my favorite signing day stories is though. And Dirk, this will jog your memory because it's a quote from what story you wrote on signing day. And let's see if you remember who this was. You ready? They broke the guy code. Oh, geez. I haven't heard that for a long time. Who am I talking about? Uh, Charles Jackson, That's right? That's right. Yeah. So 20, man, Sam, that was crazy. Okay. So I don't want to fall down a rabbit hole too far here, but, but. This is the only signing day, I think, maybe in, in Nebraska history where they didn't hold a press conference. Uh, 
and and help me out if I get some of the if I get some of the details wrong. They did it over the radio or something. They did it over. Well, a it, it was a it was a teleconference conference call. Right. So uh, I so we're sitting there like everybody's in their various places. It was sort of a precursor to to the Zoom era, uh, and everybody's on this teleconference with Bo Pelini in about 2012, and over the wires, uh, Kevin Wilson, I think, right. Uh, <laughs> He 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 declares that what one big piece of their you know signing day was he he credited his new quarterbacks coach or something like that. Well, uh, he said his defensive backs coach Corey Raymond was going to Nebraska. <laughs> so so he says Corey Raymond's going to Nebraska, and Nebraska already has a quarterbacks coach. That's right, uh, Marvin Sanders. Marvin Sanders, and so. Uh, so basically, Nebraska used Marvin Sanders uh, to recruit, and then you know he was gone right after signing day. So of course, the natural journalist thing to do is to call the guy that Marvin Sanders recruited, which was Charles Jackson, and ask him what he thought about this, and if he knew about this that the guy who recruited him was no longer on the staff. And uh, and Charles Jackson said uh, that that Nebraska broke the guy code. So uh, damage control was was swift after that. Wasn't uh, it ever? Bo Pelini was not happy with me one bit for calling the kid. Uh, and and <laughs> man, I I had forgotten about that one. And then his dad calls into a radio station or something. Like. It turned into a whole thing. That was one of my favorite signing day stories. Was that 2012? 20, it was It was signing day 2011. So it was right after the 2010 season. Remember, they were going to get rid of all these coaches, but Bo being Bo dragged his feet on it, didn't really want to figure out who it was going to be. You know, that was the time when he didn't hire Scott Frost to be his coordinator. Um, he dragged his feet, hired Rich Fisher. You know, it's his wide receivers coach. Okay, okay. So my, my other favorite memory, I think it might have been the year before. Oh, this one was even more ridiculous. Was was when Nebraska advertised an offensive coordinator position because they had to post it right. to the to the university website uh, while they still had an offensive coordinator. So Sean Watson was getting shoved out the door. Yeah, but but Bo Pelini didn't want to quote fire him, uh, and so they advertised for the position because they are legally obligated to do so before they made it known that that Sean Watson was out of a job. So uh, these these little public relations nightmares, uh, I'm sure were were just a big hit, you know, with with the Nebraska Sports Information Office, but but Bo didn't really care about any of that stuff. The broke the guy code. That's that's a memorable one. Don't no doubt about it. Okay, let's so, move so on to basketball. Last thought. Last thought. Okay. So I called Charles Jackson, and he gave me that quote. And about five minutes later, I think Bo called him, and then <laughs> uh, so so we write the story, and Bo's mad the next day because you know oh, I talked to Charles right after you talked to him, and you know we're fine now, and I'll anyway so. <laughs> That was that was apoplectic, Bo. Um, let's move on to basketball. Uh, so they're they're uh, they're six and five uh, overall. Um, I want to try to frame this in a context here. So I wrote a little thing for today. Uh, they're six and five overall. In order to make the NIT, they have to win sixteen games, uh, pretty much. 
that means they go 16 and 15 into the Big Ten tournament, and then they can lose a game there, be 500, and still be on the NIT bubble. Based on everything that you've seen, can this team win 10 more games? Well, they're going to have a chance to, but I'm, I'm I would never predict that. <laughs> but they're going to have a better chance to do that than they have the, the, the last few years. Absolutely. Um, but who's going to make shots? At some point in these conference games, somebody's going to make shots. And uh, it can't just be all defense. So uh, they've, they've got to find that. But, um, man, you know, I, I, I love Derek Walker. I mean, you know, give him the ball and let him go up. And me, he was making hook shots. Over the, the seven foot four guy last week. I mean, so he he's he's fun to watch, obviously, and um, I, they're they're all fun to watch. And I, I I think it'll be a lot more pleasant to watch. You won't have the the, the you know, you won't have a repeat of the ugly Northwestern game last year where they came into Lincoln and they they went up by twenty or the first five minutes and it was everybody kind of quit. But um, so I think they had a better chance, Sam. But I, I mean. The Big Ten games—they all—they all—they all look alike. But it's the teams that do better have a guy who's going to make shots at the end. So, um, who's that guy? Sam, I hate to punt on my answer, uh, but but I just think this new Nebraska that we've all grown to appreciate. You know, Tom went down and watched them last Saturday against Purdue, and. We saw them against Creighton, and you know they're they're clearly more prepared for the for the grinding Big Ten games than they were a year ago. But man, I just I think we got to see more before we say that they're you know capable of winning sixteen games. I mean they there are at last check there are eleven Big Ten teams in the top forty four in the country according to Ken Pomeroy. Okay, who does these power rankings that that all the coaches cite? Uh, Eleven of the top forty-four teams in the country are in the Big Ten. Now, I, I think that may be inflated a little bit. I'm not sure I buy that. I think the the top of the league is, you know, maybe not quite as good as it's been, uh, but but clearly there's a, a pretty, you know, substantial middle to the league. Uh, where the the you know six seven eight nine ten for instance are still probably NCAA tournament teams and and Nebraska's gotta you know has gotta compete with with the the Rutgers and the the Wisconsin's and the Maryland's uh, the Iowas you know they gotta win games like that especially on their home court so uh, I think it's possible but but I don't think it's likely you know I think I think as Tom alluded to. I just don't know if there's enough, you know, if there's enough offense on this team. To me, they look like a team that's going to lose a lot of games by one or two possessions, you know. And that's – I don't know if that will cost Fred Hoiberg his job because I don't think Nebraska wants to fire him this year. And and if they can, you know, show sort of progress uh, where you're losing by six instead of losing by 26, you know, that might be enough to keep his job. But I don't think it's going to be enough to get him to the NIT. I mean, Nebraska's shooting 31.4% from three right now and somewhere in the 60s at the free throw line. Um, they won't they won't do what they want to do if they're, they keep shooting like that. So I wrote the thing that I wrote up. This is just going to be 
Sam Griesel, Emmanuel Bandamel, and Jawan Gary have taken 107 threes this season. Anybody want to guess how many of them they've hit out of 107? 107, you said? Yeah. Uh, 26. 30. They've hit 30 of them out of 107. And that's uh, that's pretty bad. That's 28%. <laughs> And that that's got to change. I mean, Bandamel has to hit them because I don't. Griesel doesn't really take them, and Jawan Gary won't be making them. And they probably ought to tell Jawan Gary to stop. You know, but that's just my opinion. But uh, if you look at if you look at um, since Derek Walker came back, because some people are like, well, Derek Walker came back, it'll get better. Well, they did hit twelve of twenty three against Boston College, but in the last three games. They hit 25, 26.1, and 28.1 of their threes against Creighton, Indiana, and Purdue. And while it's true that those are all very good defensive teams, it's also similar to what they're going to face in the Big Ten. They're going to face more good defensive teams. Nebraska's got to find a way to get to 35% from three in league play. And they have not, they have not touched that number in a very, very long time. The best they had, I think, over the course of a year in the last decade was 346 well, maybe they got there with the Andrew White season. That one year Andrew White was here, he hit a 43 or 44% of his threes and might have lifted everybody up. But but this is a program that has historically had a real issue with making shots. And the one thing I thought had Fred Hoiberg would do that he hasn't done is bring in shooters. Well, they clearly sacrificed that type of player when they when they went out and got, you know, Gary Bandamel and Griesel. I mean, they... They, I don't want to say they gave up on scoring, but they kind of gave up on scoring. Uh, they decided they, they decided they were going to try to win games, you know, sixty-one to fifty-eight. And I don't want to criticize them for that decision because I think it's given them a chance, uh, you know. And I think they're just going to have to compromise offense in the process. But, uh, but like I said, it just it reminds me of some of those Miles teams that were just close, close, close. And couldn't win games in the last five minutes. So uh, I think it's probably a little too early to make conclusions about about what they're going to be. But uh, you know, I think I think Tom would agree with this. the The biggest thing right now is they're just they're they're fun to watch again. You know, they yeah. play hard, and um, I don't want to say that's enough or that should be enough. But but man, after the last few years, like that's major progress. So. Uh, I, I'll, I'll continue to look at it, you know, glass half full until proven otherwise. Uh, but I just, I appreciate how hard they're playing and how well they defend. And if they're going to play as well as they get, did against Purdue, even, even despite the offensive struggles, you know, they're going to, they'll be in almost every game. Hmm. You know, they've, they've got, um, 10 home games left. Um, and uh, nine of them are against the, the, the big 10. I, to me, yeah, NITB would be uh, – it's almost pie in the sky right now for this program. Um, but can they can they defend home court? How much? How many of those home games can they win? I think that would be a big win. I mean, these – this may not be impressive to the, some fans out there. They <laughs> think this is probably kind of lame. But I think, you know, you, you got to start somewhere. And clearly they have the kind of style that – uh, is going to play to the crowd, and I think he's going to get people excited. Um, no, n- not not let it fly or shoot threes and fast break, but 
but just play grind it out is going to get people excited. <laughs> How many home games can they win? Um, there was a week in January where they've got Illinois, Ohio State, and uh, Northwestern right in a row at home. Um, can they take two of those three? Can could they possibly win all three? I mean, that's a lot to ask, but um, you know, after watching Illinois against Penn State, I mean, everybody's gonna have a bad day. Um, I and maybe Nebraska can, can, can help force people to have a bad day. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm but I think home home court is where is where it starts uh, for this season, and um, you know, ten home games left. If you win half of those, that's five more. You're at eleven. Um, you know, maybe you get more than five. I don't know. Yeah, Tom. I, I mean, I think I, I was thinking more like seven or eight. You know, I think Nebraska's got to find a way to win. Yeah, seven or eight of those, and I think that's very, you know, very reasonable to be honest. Um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna get a few clunkers that come into Lincoln. I mean, I don't think they should be able to beat Northwestern and Lincoln. They should be able to beat you know Penn State is is you know weak enough to to lose in lincoln but you know you should beat minnesota and lincoln so uh i i think they can win seven uh and at that point it just becomes hey can you steal a couple somewhere else so i i just defense travels you know defense always travels um uh, you know it, nebraska has has really shown an aptitude and a sort of a tenacity on that end of the court uh, so I, I give them a chance. Uh, I just I think they're probably one shot maker away from being a postseason team. You know, that's where Saturday's game could have been so big. You know, at some point, can you establish an identity at home where you get a little little home mojo? You, you know, you, when you're playing at home, the crowd knows you're going to be in it. The, they come prepared. Um, you come prepared to, you know, you, you know, it's just something going on when when you're when you're at home, there's an identity there that, that um, you know, the teams that are coming in are maybe a little nervous. Imagine that, going to Nebraska, being nervous. But I'm just saying, that's, to me, what they need to establish here. Okay, you've got a home, you know, start with the home court. See see if you, if, if you can start winning some games there. And then you never know how, how many more you might win. I mean, it's, uh, it's crazy, but... Um, you know, Sam, I still want to know more about the uh, guy code. What is the guy code? I mean, I, I, <laughs> what's the rest of the guy code? I'm, I, I've lived all these years. I didn't know about the guy code. I think Charles Jackson was saying that they should have told him they were going to fire Marvin <laughs> Sanders before he signed that morning versus waiting until he is signed and then having Kevin Wilson announce who Nebraska's new defensive backs coach was going to be. I just hope Charles told Bo to his – to his ear that uh about the guy code that that, that would have been good <clears throat> i just imagine how he you know like and my understanding of that story Dirk, is that's the angriest bow has ever been at you oh i mean there's <laughs> i don't know other about than, that okay, so other than the other than the po the 2011 ohio state game other than that though that like you know, you know the, the the weird part, Sam, is and I, I hate to belabor stuff that people have already, you know, it's this is over and done with, but uh he he almost never expressed anger to me. 
uh, I think he expressed anger at the World Herald to Tom. Uh, I think he did it, you know, to Thad, to you sometimes, but uh, he never really did it to me. You know, we just, I, I think he sort of, I think he did it to our old publisher. You know, I think they had a lot of conversations, but I don't, I, he very rarely uh, actually expressed his his anger directly toward me or you or Niatawa. I mean, it was always, it was always to somebody else. Don't you well, miss it a little? Like, don't you miss Nebraska being relevant in that way, though? Like, Matt Rule is not like Bo, but man, I hope there comes back this sense of like that the games matter more than they have. Like, it feels like we've spent a lot of time sort of excavating why it fails. And um, if there's one thing that was really kind of a downer about the Scott era, is he didn't even seem excited about it. Like, it was his lack of enthusiasm for what was going on you know, trickled into everyone else's lack of enthusiasm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's the, the, the better point is it, it's not so much missing uh, Polini. It's, I mean, I think back to, you know, that 2012 season, for instance, all right. Uh, and Nebraska, you know, winning on the road at Northwestern, winning on the road at Michigan state, um, you know, beating the, you know, what they win six or seven on a road in the year. And, and, they're just every Saturday, and it is true when they lost too. Like when they gave up seventy points. I mean, it's it every Saturday just had a weight to it, uh, and it wasn't specific to the Pliny era. It was it was still true even in the Callahan era. Uh, you know, two thousand seven. Those until it absolutely fell apart. Two thousand six. I mean, those games had a weight to them where uh, you just it felt big. It felt significant. Uh, it 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 sort of defined people's weekend in a way that it doesn't really do anymore. Uh, I miss that. I think that changed in the Riley era to, to some degree, and then especially, obviously, in the Scott era. Uh, I mean, Nebraska lost 10 football games in a row. Who would have ever imagined that? But I think I don't miss specific individuals. I just miss the significance of every of those games. And, and even the even the big ones don't feel big anymore, right? Like, you know, the the Oklahoma game, that wasn't a big deal, really. I mean, it's obviously it was on the heels of, of firing Scott Frost, but but man, when you the, when Nebraska scheduled that game, however long ago, you know that that should have been the defining game of of the season. That should have been a, something that generated, you know, enormous excitement and anticipation. And it, it just, it just doesn't really do that anymore. And you see it, you see it obviously uh, in, in the way, you know, we think about it. You especially see it in the way that our kids and grandkids think about it. So uh, it's, it's just kind of sad to see it slip. Yeah. I think rule can, can bring that back to some degree. I do. I, uh, even if they don't win all the time, I think Matt Rule is going to be enough of a presence and enough of a figure in ways that, you know, Frost just wasn't. Frost didn't always seem all that interested in his own job. Um, and I think Rule will be intensely interested. I think he'll be, you know, pretty detailed. And, and um, yeah, anyway, we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. OK, the next time we will be back is probably next week. After signing day, when we recap whatever it is that Nebraska finishes with, my hunch is it'll be around 20 uh, high school and junior college commits. 
uh, and then, you know, whatever they're able to get in the transfer portal by then. But more importantly, we'll hear from Matt Rule by then, and maybe we'll have something from the assistants too. I think that's still up in the air. Um, I think last year we did hear from the assistants on the same day as signing day. Uh, maybe that'll happen this year. Maybe it won't. Um, but I do think it'll be, we'll hear certainly from rule and he'll, he'll be pretty engaged and fired up um, to talk to us. I'm sure. Okay. So it's that Sam, is, can I ask you one question? Just, yeah. just philosophically, Kate, and I'm not talking about any specific players, but philosophically, why would you recruit Juco players right now? If you're Matt rule? Well, um, because sometimes Juco players, like the kid they just got from California, he's one year out of high school and he went to a junior college basically to improve his recruiting profile. And he got a whole year worth of football. Like he, he got to play a year's worth of football. It's uh, American river community college. And so he's going to come to Nebraska more developed than he probably would have been if he had come here last year and then just kind of played on the practice squad. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a prep, it's a prep school experience. I, I just think, yeah, I just, I, I look at the program right now and there's this constant tension between, are you going to let it bottom out or not? You know, are you going to, are you going to go get transfers? Are you going to keep Casey Thompson and try to win next year? Are you you know, there's just all sorts of examples of it where to what degree does Nebraska embrace starting over? Um, and, and you'd I, like I, them to just bottom out, right? Like you would that? be okay with that. You'd be okay with them going just completely starting over and building, rebuilding the thing without having to try to impress anybody or pretend that you know we can win right away. You'd rather they just they just blew it up. Well, I don't. I don't want to say I would rather do that because that would indicate that I want to watch a one on eleven season. But right. but that's what they did. That's what he did. You know his first couple of years at, at Temple and then at Baylor, and um, you know it worked for him. So I would be surprised if he wouldn't embrace that concept again. I think this place is different. I think it's more challenging in the sense that people here really struggle to lose games, and there's also a sellout streak that you like. There does become a point where the sellout streak becomes not not a believable event, and so you're not going to try to pretend anymore. Um, Trev Alberts has taken the price down for next year by a hundred dollars. That's a, that's an honest, good faith effort. Appreciate it. Appreciate that. They're going to sell more tickets that way. And they need to, um, and simultaneously, you just don't want to watch losing football anymore. Like rule has been tasked to come in and win, win some games because people around here are getting pretty jaded and, um, somewhere along the way, you've got to try to, you've got to try to make good on that. So I don't you know. know. Um, you know, what I what I think Dirk said was great about the Oklahoma game. Um, I didn't, as an as a as an old Oklahoma Nebraska uh, fan, I, I I didn't even really have that much fun that week uh, because I knew the game wasn't going to be probably any good. So, um, I think there's a generation that um, obviously don't know, and, and I tell people uh, who say, "Well, it's it'll never be back. It'll never be the same. It'll never be this or that." I said. You forget what it was. Nobody, people my age, uh, especially, don't, don't 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 remember what it was like when they when they, when they were in every game and they were going to win. And it's when, when this when this thing wins, everything in this state is different. It's better. Uh, day to day life is better. Everything is just 
it's it's just um it's hard to describe but yes they can it can be it can be the same you could have kids in all the schools wearing nebraska gear again absolutely you could it it I mean, it'll never be what it was, but I, I'm looking forward to a generation of people who don't know um, finding out for the first time what it's like, and that, that I think that'll be exciting. Um, now, to what level? I'm not. I don't think it'll ever be nine or ten a year ever again, but seven or eight going to bowl games. That that'll be like going from uh, the black and white TV to the. the the color TV, the, the the Wizard of Oz, when it becomes color, people will go, whoa, what is this? I don't remember any of this. So um, I'm, I, I, I think that is what I I, 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 I think Matt Rule can, can help bring him back. And I agree. You know, there's something about a football gym rat. Um, I, 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 people will embrace it if he, if he lets people you know, see that side of him. Uh, it'll 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 mean more. I think if 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 he shows it, that it, it means a lot to him. So, um, on that note, I do have a a Bopolini story I'd, I'd like to share. If I, if oh, I yes, by all means. Um, and I don't think I've written about this. I've told the story a few times at, at at different different outings where I where I speak. Um, but this was uh, after one of the um. The Orlando Bulls, where they had the the Hail Mary, I think it was at the end of the first half, and after after the game they lose the game to South Carolina, and, and after the game, Bo was blaming the Hail Mary on you know well we 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 coached them, they didn't execute it you know the, the, they knew uh, they knew how to defend it but they didn't execute it, so I wrote well he kind of threw his players under the bus there he's always said he'd never do that, but he wasn't really taking blame for it. Blah blah blah. So two or three weeks later, I'm driving around Omaha, my phone rings. It, it says Bo Pelini on the on the thing. I answer it. Yeah, Bo. And he goes, Tom. He goes, um, yeah, I did. Somebody told me you wrote this. I, I didn't read it. Of course, they never actually read it, right? Somebody always tells them what somebody wrote, right? Whatever. But um, yeah, you said yeah, I threw the, my guys under the bus. Um, well. I, you know, you know me better than that. I would never do that. So we talked a little bit. All of a sudden, he started getting really angry, and because I, I wasn't really, I wasn't um, giving in, and so he started yelling at me, and it became louder and louder. And there were words that I thought I heard, because he turned into this Jerry Faust hoarse voice, just not uh. to understand what he was saying. And he would just became louder and louder, and so I said, "Bo, if you want to have an if you want to have a adult conversation about this, I'd be happy to." And I I, I hung up on him. <laughs> I hung up on the head coach because why not? He was screaming. I couldn't understand what he was saying. So um, I drive in like a high V. I go in and I get get my you know honey do list whatever done. Come out fifteen minutes later. There's 10 phone calls from him on my phone. And so, and he calls again. And I'm, I'm not looking at it. I guess, ah, should I answer or not? Oh, I'll answer it, the poor guy. So I answer it. Yeah, Bo. He goes, Tom, I'm so sorry I did that. I didn't, I, I, I really, you know, I don't know what happened. I just don't know. And so 
I said, well, it's okay. So, so, you know, let's talk. And so we talked for about 40 minutes. I probably sat in that parking lot for 40 minutes talking to him about the state of the program, direction, things he wanted to do, and all that stuff. Um, but to me, that'll always be Bo Pelini. One minute, screaming, uh, cussing me out. Five minutes later, calm. It's all good. I apologize, so on and so forth. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I would never say what people might, might think that that is. But um, to me, that was Bo Pelini. Yeah, he wasn't an elitist. He was an equal opportunity person when it came to conversations. <laughs> you have to admit. He was willing. He was he was willing to call you a lot of names, and he was willing. He was he was willing to have a dialogue with you. And a lot of times, journalists will take that over the person who never seems to have any time, and is always a little too good for you. With that note, we will end this week's Pick Six podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about recruiting. For Dirk, for Tom, I'm Sam. Thanks, us. Tax day is coming. Oh no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.